that's a a fire in a fireplace going chestnuts roasting over an open fire that seems dangerous i wouldn't do that oh hello i didn't see you come in there this is eric your dm usually but i'm bringing you a wonderful winter holiday present a bonus episode with dimension 20 dm and all-around incredible person brennan lee mulligan Dimension 20 has begun a new arc of their D&D show, Returning to the Unsleeping City. For those of you who haven't watched yet, you should, and it's incredible. But before that, the Unsleeping City is an urban fantasy setting of New York City. The city that never sleeps has very specific magical properties that allow the waking world and the dreaming world to intersect, allowing humans and fantasy creatures to intersect. And the Unsleeping City has their own rules, structures, and society that mirrors our own. In this game, we dive into what some of that might look like by playing the game Sports Are Just Numerology by Ben Roswell. Don't worry, you can find a link to that game in the episode description, but we teach you how to play as we go along. You don't have to like sports to enjoy this, as the game focuses on the arcs of a relationship between true rivals as they first meet, as it comes to its heights, maybe they become friends at the end, and then it all comes together as their sports careers finish. Once again, seems like sports, but actually it's feelings and drama. One final note, this was an excuse for two DMs to have a bunch of fun, but also two longtime New Yorkers to make very specific New York City references. If there's something you don't get, don't worry, it's probably just an NYC thing, and we will remember to explain what it is in just a little while. Most importantly, be sure to watch Dimension 20 and the new Unsleeping City Part 2 campaign by signing up at dropout.tv, and we hope you enjoy our Unsleeping Party. Get it? It's like a slumber party, but it's not because it's unsleeping, and that's the name of the arc. It all comes together. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to do a look back at the fire. Pop, 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 pop. Mm, I love burning up that wood. We heard you, all the people out there, and we know that what RPG podcast listeners want more than anything is sports content that are related to the thing that you're good at and all the ways that you can be good at sports and the strange ways that are getting there. First, we had Blaze Ball, and then we had <laughs> Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, and now we are going to do another sports thing. But it's not just going to be me talking about this. I have a wonderful guest who is here to talk about the strange world that we are going to play our game in. It's Brendan Lee Mulligan. Hello. Oh my God, Eric, I'm so happy to be back. Thank you so much for having me. I'm like, I get to play a game. I'm so excited. <laughs> that was the main thing that I got from our conversation last time was like, man, Brennan really just wants to play a game. And now here we are. We, I just get on awesome gaming podcasts and streams and just hard guilt whoever the GM is on that stream to be like, <laughs> Run a game for me, please. And it worked. And so I regret nothing. It's perfect. You absolutely did it. <laughs> this is so fun. And I'm we're playing a DM-less game, so I feel like both of us are getting a little untethered here. But of course, I did prep ahead of time, so I can't even let go even when I'm not a DM. When no DM exists, I cannot let go. 
but first, before before we get into the game itself, hey, is, I feel like you did something that's out now that you should tell the people about. Gang, over here in Dimension 20 land, we're in it with all y'all in this bizarre pandemic COVID world and are in the midst of releasing our current season shot remotely with our core cast, with the intrepid heroes, Lou and Zach and Allie and Siobhan and Emily and Murph are all back in The Unsleeping City, chapter two, which is a return to a setting that we had played in previously of The Unsleeping City, which is the urban fantasy, fantastical adventures of the hidden magical world behind New York City, baby. Finally, the Big Apple gets its chance to join, you know, London's Neverwares and all these other old school cities just think they're so magic. New York's magic too, baby. Don't forget. So that's our current season. Uh, and for those that don't know, Dimension 20 is an anthology actual play show by College Humor, which is me and six other awesome comedians that do D&D actual play uh, with crazy homebrew settings where we tell very heartfelt and tragic and dramatic, but also very ultimately comedic storylines that are uh, a little bit short. You know, our longest series are like 18 episodes and the episodes are usually about like two, two and a half hours. So for people that are looking to jump onto the Dimension 20 bandwagon, we always got new seasons starting up and the story Stories are meaty and cool, but also very fun and approachable. So check it out. Absolutely. For those of you who don't know what this is, something that we talked about the last time Brendan was here was that something that people who listen to join the party know, we are taking Dungeons & Dragons and going to a different sort of genre, a different sort of setting, while we are doing our modern superhero thing over here on Join the Party. You are doing your urban fantasy, finally giving New York City its due, which is so important because no one has ever represented New York City, except for all the Billy Joel references that we do. Yeah, and when we just wanted a world where Billy Joel could be statted out as some type of bard <laughs> and that was significant to us and you know what and that dream gets to come true which is great that's true he will get in his car and run you over and then write a song about it that's <laughs> that's his special power that's his background yeah where where bottle of red bottle of white can be a uh, verbal component of spell casting and that's what the people want it's what they want <laughs> i got two fists right here red and white but i'll show you rose if that's what you really want i got them right here well, it's so wonderful that you're talking about this urban fantasy in New York City because I wanted to play a game within this world here. We were introduced to it in chapter one, and I had no spoilers, but there is a time jump of three years forward for chapter two. So there's a lot of stuff that we haven't explored about the dream world and the real world of New York City and how all of that comes together. Um, and we're going to play a game called Sports or Numerology by uh, Ben Roswell. You can go to roswellian.itch.io and we're going to have the link in the episode description if you want to check it out. It is a one-page tabletop RPG where all you need is a piece of paper and something to write on and a random number generator. So we have all this and we're going to play a game where Brennan and I, we're going to play two sports players whose careers and lives are irrevocably linked. Your stories and memories are the numbers that permeate sports luminous meaning because sports are just numbers and drama, as we found out. Oh, I love it. I love it. 
So, I have watched all of chapter one on Sleeping City and uh, the episodes that are out from chapter two. And also, uh, I've been fucking living in the Empire State my entire life. Yeah, Westchester and 914, baby. Yeah, uh, NYU, class of 12 and 13, you know what it is. Uh, 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 I really like chapter two because of the Greenpoint uh, representation, which is really important to me and everyone here, multitude. So, the first thing that you do on sports or numerology is you name yourselves and you decide the place where you end your intertwined careers. So the first thing I wanted to just give you, uh, because I've consumed your media and I've kind of processed it through my terrible sports knowledge and everything. So I had some ideas for sports leagues and then I had some ideas for characters that either one of us could play. Hell yeah. All right. So the sports leagues, uh, I have uh, four different uh, options where we can build our own. I just have the MLB, which is the Monster League Baseball. Obviously, just straight up shadow baseball league. I, I don't know this, so I would love to ask you this question. If there are other cities that do have a permeated area where dreams and reality are. So it's like New York City against, I guess it ever, it doesn't even matter if it's the United States. Very like baseball sort of understanding. A hundred percent. This season actually gets into that a little bit more. And I don't think it's a spoiler to say magic exists throughout the world. So it is accurate to say that there are other powerful nodes of magic in the world other than New York City. However, in The Unsleeping City, New York does have a uniquely powerful attachment to the dreaming world because of its relationship to insomnia, the idea mm -hmm. of a city that never sleeps, its relationships as being the city of dreams, like specifically a city you go to to pursue whatever your ambitions or goals are. So yes, lots of different magical cities in the world of the unsleeping city. No, not all of them are as powerfully connected to the concept of dreaming. Right. Okay. So this would be a real like Yankees in the 2000 situation where the New York City team wins all of them. So this is our own, our intercity one. So we'll put that on a shelf. So I have three other ones that are just intracity uh, sports leagues. There is a New York City professional kickball league that was invented in the dream world. It's all the different neighborhoods where people just use this to let off steam in their own way. So this is a little left professional. But the way that it came to our world was that a guy in Murray Hill had a dream about it. And now that's why... All these guys in finance do it now. That's how it happened. So yeah, we, we have the professional kickball league. If that's something that. you're interested in. Love that. There is something that's like more classical. It's a boxing meets professional wrestling sort of thing uh, where, you know, people deal with their issues by having this wrestling there's a mountain kind of in Nod where uh, 30 Rockefeller Center stands, and that would be the top of the rock tournament, of course. Oh, incredible. Incredible. Love that. Right. And finally, there is just a inner city basketball league, mm -hmm. which takes place on, on the umbral public courts. So whenever you see that there are nets down or it's closed for repaving or something, there's just a game going on. And that explains why the Knicks are so bad, because all the juice go to the park courts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, poor Knicks. I love all four of these so damn much. Let's do a collaborative narrowing down. I would say of those ones, just for, for whatever reason is like pinging my inner dramatic bell. Top of the rock sounds incredibly cool, like wrestling, like in the Sixth Borough wrestling group. And also Monster League Baseball, even though we put it on a shelf, because there are other magical cities. They just draw their power from other realms beside dreaming. So I would say I'll let you do the coin flip between Monster League Baseball or 
wrestling, boxing, like Top of the Rock. Okay, I'm going to go with Top of the Rock because, uh, one, I do have some wrestling feelings that I want to get out. But also, in, like, the back of my head, this is, like, also the way that they deal with budgetary problems yeah. in, Dream, in Dream World. It's like, ah, yeah, we'll deal, we'll deal with it at the Top of the Rock tournament. Like, we'll take care of that. <laughs> Hell yeah. I think we're both from New York, and it would break our hearts to have one of us have to be from some other... Frankly, lesser city. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, and then the the fucking the <laughs> L.A. the L.A. Banshees come and like you got traded there. So fuck you, Brennan. <laughs> like there you go. Yeah, so I think we should do the top of the rock tournament. Cool, sounds good to me. Cool. Uh, and then uh, we have some uh, characters that we have here to play. So now that we know that we're doing this like boxing wrestling style, I don't know if you saw the most recent season of Ducktales, but there's like the Norse gods deal with like Ragnarok doing this like kind of like fighting wrestling tournament in this way and it's kind of like that or something like a little bit more classical like oh yeah like we started doing this because we heard Gilgamesh like did it a bunch and like he was pretty sick so that's why we started doing it to just work out our pre our feelings getting your problems out by doing professional wrestling love it yes 100% okay so I have some characters here and you can come up with your own mm -hmm. uh, we have consolidated Eddie who is a fast-talking electricity elemental <laughs> I feel like his whole gimmick is being really fast and being electric. There is uh, Hephaestus Lowery Seidberg, uh, foul-mouthed fire dwarf who turns the heaters and the radiators on in the winter, but it's a seasonal job, so his other job is wrestling. <laughs> There's Yosef, who is uh, Willie's cousin, who is a golem. Uh, he moved to Greenpoint after the rent got too high in Williamsburg, and uh, Willie is just such a bad roommate. I have uh, the ghost of Captain William Kidd. So Captain Kidd was hanged for piracy in 1701, and there was the legend that he buried his riches on Liberty Island, where the Statue of Liberty is, but really, he was betting on his own matches, and I assumed that the Pixies had a sports book going, so he he was betting on his own shit, and the Pixies beat him up, so now he's like a ghost who's stuck doing this, and he's just like a pirate ghost. Oh, man, that's so good. And in the tradition, I hope this, I don't think this is a spoiler, but uh, Stephen Sondheim does work within the Umbral Arcana, so there are just people we know from New York City. I thought it would be funny. I did have just baseball on the brain, but anything for this. I thought Mike Piazza, former catcher for the New York Mets, <laughs> let's just, if someone wants to be him, we could just do it. I mean, just a truly beloved baseball player. Yeah, Mike Piazza. Yeah, honestly, that's the idea of Mike Piazza wrestling a fire dwarf uh, on top yeah. of Rockefeller Center. That really, that really, really really does it for me listen if you have a bell and sebastian song written for you you might as well be a legend so it's fine <laughs> uh you tell me your favorite so that i know because uh, that's going to help me pick my my character i'm going to choose one of the two uh coded jewish ones just for my own sake Hell yeah. although i literally created yosef to to do this Hephaestus Lowry Seidberg has been growing on me so much ever since the radiators got turned on. So I think I'm going to be him and I just need to think of like our, our wrestling names. Oh, but also man. that's just a good name. So I'm going to, I think I'm going to be Hephaestus. Cool. I'm immediately drawn to the pirate, but I've also done the pirate voice so much that I don't want to expose people to yet another <laughs> pirate. Let me actually, I'm going to let fate decide. I'm going to roll a D6 real quick. I'm going to say one through two is going to be Consolidated Eddie. Three, four will be Yosef. And then five, six, I'll just pull a rabbit out of my hat and try to do a deep dive into some other bizarre piece of New York City lore. Incredible. That is a two, baby. Consolidated yes. Eddie. 
I was so hoping you would do a fast talking New Yorker. So this is this is very good. Can I tell you this is a true story. First of all, Consolidated Eddie, for those that don't know, Con Ed is the main power company in New York. And <laughs> Consolidated Eddie is such a great name for a lightning elemental. Number two, what I want to say is the idea of a fast lightning elemental for Con Edison, one of the slowest companies in the world, <laughs> is so, mwah, it's choice. It's really choice. And then number three, this is a bizarre personal tangent. I tried to teach my dad to play D&D when I was 11 years old. Mm. My dad, consummate New Yorker, like where my love for the city largely comes from, but high fantasy was like not his cup of tea and he had mm -hmm. a, he really struggled with D&D &D when i was a kid i was like no dad like, take it seriously he made a first level elven wizard and when he came up with the name i was like what's your what's their name and i was like elves have names like feanor or hilariel or things like that he went my elf's name is fast eddie so true story <laughs> fast eddie is the name of the first D&D &D character my dad ever made consolidated oh eddie the lightning elemental i love it this is incredible. I also love that both of our names could also just be the wrestling names that we needed to do. Like, like Hephaestus Lowery Seidberg, he's just like the guy they pulled in off the street who's like still wearing his construction. Like, that's still his city. He's like, yeah, I got all this stuff from home. It's fine. Like, I got it. Oh, man, I've been... Uh... <laughs> I've been making this one radiator sound so fucking loud that I just, my ears are ringing. I got to get some shit out. <laughs> I love that so much. It's such a perfect piece of like magic New York folklore because anyone who's ever been in an old railroad apartment with like an ancient radiator in it is mm -hmm. like, I know for a fact there is a dwarf on the inside of the radiator hammering. It is the only explanation for the sound that is piercing through the apartment at this very moment. Wonderful. Okay, so the first thing that we do is we decide the place in which you end your intertwined careers. Do you retire as bitter rivals? Has the protege replaced their mentor? Do you have you become lovers? You would tell the story of how you got there. So I think that there's this first scene here. I wonder if I wonder if like since this is not like a sports league in this way, but it's more of an event, I feel like if Eddie is an elemental and Hephaestus is a real corporeal person, I think this ends when Hephaestus just can't do it anymore and Eddie can because he's just reforming energy. So I think it just ends at like a bar that's underneath the Williamsburg Bridge. It's divey and it's also like a little wet because it's too close to the East River. And it's like years later when Hephaestus like can't do either. He can't wrestle or or use a hammer to turn on the heat anymore and he's just like a guy so people like send him shots he's like oh yeah hey thing i'm so glad that you came to all the top of the rock tournaments it's so thank you so much it's so nice and i think it just comes to a time if you see another wrestler or fighter there then you just like I, i'm sending my free drinks that people are sending to me over to eddie who can still do it and like i don't even know if we're sitting next to each other or something I love that. I think that there is something very tragic to the idea of a truly like inhuman being trying to understand like the frailties of like corporeal life. Mm -hmm. I think that 
you know, it's one of those bars that there's no big fanfare about what the name of the bar is. It's probably like an old, dirty, green awning, and it's like under a bridge already, so the awning is already redundant. But it's like faded old letters, like green awning, white lettering. It says some, you know, Irish name, like Hanratty's, but it's like, you know, why would anyone be refer to it by name? It's just the mm-hmm. bar under the bridge. And I think that this is a place where people go to have their legacy observed and have people come pay respect. So I don't think that Hephaestus is the only wrestler here being paid homage. Right. And I think that their relationship, Eddie and Hephaestus, ends here because I don't think Eddie would corporealize in this place because it is a temple to aging and to the past, which for something that is eternal and unmarred by the physical aging process, there is something just deeply terrifying about this place. Mm -hmm. I think the way that Eddie manifests in this place and says goodbye to Hephaestus here is Eddie, who never had a kind word to say about Hephaestus to his face, appears in the old television above the bar Mm. and using his electrical elemental status fabricates a lot of New York one memorializings of Hephaestus's incredible career as a wrestler in the top of the rock mm-hmm. tournaments. So it is a, I think that Eddie, no pun intended wrestles with his old rival being here by continually reframing his career through these little televised, you know, almost like the fake TV commercials and fake New York one things about incredible legendary bouts that Hephaestus was in during his time wrestling. I love that. No, that's incredible. I think it's like someone sends over a Long Island iced tea and Hephaestus takes it, slides it one over to his left. And he's just like, God, this TV is so fucking loud. Please tr- just mute it. Put it, mute it, please. <laughs> uh, I think, the, yeah, the bartender may try to, but for some channel, the TV, <laughs> the mute channel keeps coming undone. And the channels flip around, do that thing where they like move back and forth between a couple channels really quickly to have the TV yeah. do something like, hey there, how fast it's gone. Fuck yourself. <laughs> like switching perfectly between different channels to have Eddie say what he wants to say without having to be physically present uh, in the bar. I love that. I feel like at one for a second it switches to like MTV Cribs and then it's just like Coolio's just like, this is where the magic happens and it switches back to the other one. <laughs> Incredible. All right, so we have our ending. Unless there are any more tragic things we want to say about the wrestler Mickey Rourke style of this relationship. No, this is exactly as melancholy and filled with a lot of heart, but only in the most painful way. This is so far we are doing New York justice. This is this is the vibe. Absolutely. Okay, so now the game mechanics are going to start. The main game mechanic of sports are just numerology is a random number generator. Mm -hmm. So we're going to ask each other to give us a number of digits between one and six. And I have a random number generator that is going to generate a number with that many digits, and I'm going to write it down in our notes here. Awesome. We are going to say what this number represents and why it is significant. It could be a player's stat, a date, a jersey number, a score, add decimal points, zero slashes, anything else, as long as you do not change the order or change the number of the original core digits. 
If you don't know a stat that matches perfectly, just make one up because most stats are made up anyway. Ben, you're nailing it. I love this game so much. Then you're going to ask your partner how and or why they remember it. Mm. So, for example, I would be like, if you got the number 21, then you would ask me why I remember it. And then I'd be like, oh, that's because I was playing blackjack when I heard that you were first on the come up or whatever. So, Brennan, what number digits would you like between one and six? Yeah, let's do two. Boom. All right. I'm going to give you the number 57. Uh, That's the number of official top of the rock matches between each other in our career as wrestlers. Absolutely. I remember that number because I intentionally lost count because Eddie is incorporeal. I feel like (laughs) there, this feels like it's set up like a professional wrestling ring just on the top of this mountain, which is theoretically where 30 rock is. Like if you laid the dream world on top of New York city, it's on top of a rock. So you can like etch stuff into the rock if you wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I feel like around the 30th one, I'm like, I don't care how many times we're going to have to do this. I'm still going to kick your fucking ass. And I feel like Eddie intentionally like has carved the number of times they've done it, like in, in tally marks on the side of the rock itself. A hundred percent. I think that's absolutely right. And I think the number is meaningful to Eddie as well, because Eddie does a very good job of when he is manifested in that sort of like elemental form, knows how to have a lot of swagger, is actually a very like vibrant character when he's present. But there's still part of him, given the sort of like utility company that birthed him magically, that Mm. is very obsessed with measurement as a concept. Like he runs through gauges all the time and needles measuring his amperage and his voltage. Also, as wrestlers, he like his version of making weight is like conducting (laughs) whatever his voltage is. So he's constantly, you know, like, yeah, you know, I'm trying to cut down on coal and try to up my, uh, you know, my green energy a little bit because we got a match coming up next week. So I'm trying just like very aware of his body in quotation marks, which is just a given amount of electricity. But oh, Mr. Fuck, Mr. Fucking solar panel over here. needs to fucking oh, talk fuck about it all you, the time. It's, listen, it's about me. You, you, you got to diversify. You know what I mean? I'm not sitting here eating whatever the fuck you're in. Lower East Side fucking stopping by Palm Frites, loading up on them greasy ass fucking. Wow. You, well, yeah, it's a deep cut. Hey, how about it? Um, <laughs> well, why do you think Palm Free burnt down the first time? It's because I couldn't deal with it anymore. Yeah, you fucking burnt that place down because you couldn't fucking... You, you, here's the fucking problem with you, all right? You got no respect for history. You got no respect for what's going on there. You know who Palm Free was? It wasn't just a place that made French fries. It was a place that had over 13 light bulbs in it. But you wouldn't give a fuck about that, you fucking Stugats. <laughs> I love these weigh-ins. These weigh-ins are my new favorite thing. (laughs) Holy shit. Oh, my God. I love this. I'm going to go with a a six-digit number because I know exactly what I want out of a six-digit number. Boom. All right. I got 142362, and that is the number of amperes. I don't know fucking science. I guess that's energy. It's the number of amperes that like blew through a Con Ed transformer, which is how Eddie got created in the first place. It's like... So the thing that there are these two people in in the world that you have, you have the Vox Populi, the voice of the, the people, and the Vox Phantasma. And uh, what we've learned is how uh, unprepared some people might be when this comes upon them. So I feel that, like, 
with the Vox Phantasma, who's always like uh, someone with a connection to the dream world, I think it needs to be like the Vox Phantasma could not control the powers in like 1932 and it just got too much and they were hanging out like all the way down on Avenue D where that uh, Con Ed Transformer is. Let's say it was there in 1932, whatever, that's fine. Mm -hmm. And like the heady mix of all of the dream energy around there, like spun it up, big 1932 explosion. And then that's how Eddie appeared. I love that. I love that so much. Well, I think it's significant because it's an amperage that I think was present at the time of my creation. And I have never fully gotten back to that number, right? Mm. Like I was at my strongest at the moment of my creation. And since then have gotten, you know, upwards of 90% of the way there at rare moments, but have never closed that difference. And it's in like an asymptotic relationship where like, you know, it's easy to get to 75% of that amperage. It's hard to get to 80, very hard to get to 85. By the time you get to 90, it's like taking all of your effort. So that's sort of like a North Star in Eddie's history. Also, true story, I lived for a long time, IRL, in the old Excelsior Power Company building down on Gold Street in Manhattan. So I lived oh. in the shell of one of the first power companies in New York for a long, long time. We'll just make it there. It would happen at the Excelsior Power Company because it must have been turned into uh, apartments by that time. So you're, yeah. I think also finding out about it, I feel like there's a manager who's just like, my manager is just like a smaller fire dwarf. He's <laughs> even smaller. Who's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I found my calling. I'm going to fucking have me a manager for you. Fast as heck. You know, we got to get this fight. There's this new guy here. He's out of the town. He's just lightning, but he's not lightning. He can turn into things. Like, can you, please? I just spent, I spent three days in a row. It's December 1st. I've spent so much time turning these off. What's happening? Oh, yeah, this is a new guy. There's a new guy here. Who's here, here to wrestle with? He's like, oh, yeah, you like broke all the numbers of the amperage. <laughs> Vox Phantasma was fucking around. And that's how it happened. Oh, that's great. All right. So you have done a two-digit number, Brennan. Uh, you have one through six other than two left. Uh, let's do four. Let's do a four-digit number. All right, uh, 1479. I'm going to say there are mutual sort of like rivalry went on for obviously decades and decades and decades, right? The baddest beat that Eddie ever got from Hephaestus happened with a tournament rule change that basically got rid of a longstanding rule of what people were allowed to make their costumes out of, that like what people were allowed to like forge their whatever out of. And Hephaestus just rolled up during a time where like plastic and rubber suddenly became a lot more like affordable and easy to manage, like sometime in the, in the 20th century, like mid 20th century, and sure. came in with a costume and walloped Eddie so badly that for 1,400 and you said 79? 79. That's how many days Eddie was out of commission. So it was multiple years. For years, he was like out of the game from a just titanic ass whooping. And I think it, got, it was a point of like the emotional despair 
lingered after he had mostly physically healed from it, right? Yeah, and like, I feel like there's these are champions. This is like a budgetary thing. It's like, oh, the pixies designate one person and like the and other fairies or just like trolls designate another another faction they need to deal with each other. It's like Eddie was putting someone out when he wasn't there and it's not good for anyone if you are not doing the thing that higher-ups need you. So I feel like that number is significant to Hephaestus because, like, Eddie's his co-worker. So yeah. it's like if your co-worker just doesn't show up for two weeks. So it's a lot of, like, every week, I think Hephaestus went down to the, what was it, the Excelsior? Excelsior Power Company, yeah. The Excelsior Power Company station, whether or not it was open at this point or not, and that's Eddie's house, or Eddie's home. He was just curled up in a fuse box in the basement. Yeah. In my head, these fire dwarves that work the radiators, like, can Santa Claus into the radiator pipes like that? So it's a lot of, like, trying to get through the pipe and it's blocked. Yeah. Like, in Mario, like, if you were going and it was a blocked pipe, then you're like, oh, fuck. It's like, I'm not fucking doing this anymore. Like, can you just come to work? <laughs> They're looking for you. They, we got we got stuff to do. Like, come on. <laughs> Every week, uh, Hephaestus, like, knocked on, on the door to try to come in and try to figure out where it is. I love that. Incredible. Okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to do three. Mm-hmm. All right, I got seven, nine, three. Oh, man. If this was a, a few acts of a play, I feel like this is an act two when Eddie is coming from just being like a newly created babe. This is the first time that Hephaestus and Eddie get paired together in like a big match. Mm-hmm. I do think that this is like a, a professional wrestling. There are cards and undercards or even in boxing, cards and undercards. And this is like the big one. And yeah. I think that the Pixies, who's kind of like the mob you're in your fantasy new york city have bet really big on hephaestus here and he get paired with this new kid like the pixies must have beef with someone as they always do mm-hmm. so like hephaestus is the challenger and this was 793 consecutive hits from eddie onto hephaestus <laughs> like if this was a, a fighting game you'd see like boom 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 boom, boom 793 combo we just like a massive uppercut to end it and Hephaestus lost really big when he was backed by the Pixies. And this was like the coronation of Eddie being like real shit. Like this was his first one up and Hephaestus has been like on the circuit for a while and he got wrecked by the 793 hit combo. I think that number is significant to Eddie as well, because I think that like executing that combo was... I think that that this league with all the magical creatures that are in it has that thing that a lot of different leagues and stuff do where innovations get made by like mm-hmm. a team or a player that completely change the game. But over years, that change gets adapted to and some other strategy is made to come up and handle with that. So I think there was a period of like five to 10 years after that 793 hit combo where like in the preceding two to three years, that was an unbeatable combo. It was a thing where it's like, oh, there's just two or three years where this one athlete developed this thing that nobody yet knows how to stop or deal with. And it's going to take a while for the sport to reach. You know, it's like you study like Babe Ruth in baseball and it's like, oh, we like 
the art of pitching within baseball is going to need to catch up with this one person, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to have to adapt to whatever the hell this is, right? Eddie has changed the meta so dramatically <laughs> that now everyone just hires fast people. Yes. Like, like golems are out of work for years because there's no reason to have a strong person right now. Exactly. It's like we are going to have we are going to have to figure out some training regimen or some other way because this there's no answer for this strategically yet, right? And so that I think that following that fight for Hephaestus, it adds insult to injury because it's it is a coronation of Eddie that then leads to him being at the top of the sport for like yeah. truly unbeatable record breaking for two to three years. And then even for some years after that, it's still being this like growing period where even as Eddie is not undefeated after that period, it's still like the entire sport is just people trying to answer this question posed by this new combat style. Yeah, I 100% agree. I feel like on the back of the Magic New York Post, it's just like, no hammers, no fist, just speed. And like that's, <laughs> it's like 10,000 miles per hour or nothing, says yeah. the, the Magic New York Post. Yeah, that two to three year period and then another five years on the end where it's all speed style and it's just mm -hmm. people trying to do what Eddie did. And yeah. even in that period, he's still the reigning champ. And it's not until after five years of that that someone actually comes in and realizes like, no, you can't beat Eddie at Eddie's game. It's not a game about speed. And that that he like gets toppled somehow when some new style comes in and is like, you can adjust for this and not have to try and replicate it, right? Yeah. Oh, 100%. I feel like there's a moment where someone's like, hey, why hasn't anyone brought a sword in here? And then it's just swords because Eddie can't deal with it because it's metal. So then there was just like a big sword period. Hell yes. <laughs> I love that. All right. Uh, Brennan, you got one, three, five, and six. Let's do five. All right. Let's do five. Okay. Four, two, one, six, two. I don't want, for some reason, I want that to be a number, but not a number number. 42162, I think, is the P.O. box that mm. Eddie had for fan mail and stuff because he doesn't actually live in an address where mail is possible. So 42162 is the P.O. box where he gets fan mail. And for the first time, I think that Eddie is really reliant on fan mail to sustain whatever his emotional core is. Because I yeah. think that in a weird way, Eddie's entire understanding of people comes through telecommunications. Like when he was first created, it was just telephone lines and like operator switchboards. Yeah. But at the birth of television going into like the 50s and 60s and stuff like that, he just became a larger than life. Like I think that Hephaestus knew him before TV was really a huge thing, but he really became this like. And I think that the birth of television maybe coincides with his winning streak where he becomes like a larger than life character because now he can actually interpret what personality is through electrical signals. You know what I mean? Mm. Like he can get like, oh, that's how you're supposed to behave. That's what being a celebrity is. Like watching right. what's my line and being like, got it. Yes, I can, I can be this larger than life 
character, like watching Groucho Marx or whatever and be like, I get it now. Right. Even even earlier, there might be like just some Buster Keaton stuff. It's like, oh, that's how you don't get hurt. Like, yes. that's how you avoid things. Like, I also love that this continues even like once pro wrestling is on television. A million percent. And that's like huge for him. I think in one of Eddie's many like comeback tours that his comebacks usually involved some advancement in electronics, like as arcades start becoming a thing in like the 1970s and 80s, it's a huge comeback for him in the wrestling scene as he has a new vector to like learn and grow and change with. But yeah, professional wrestling, when that comes to light, becomes his entire frame of reference for what it's supposed to be like. But he does get this PO box and I think that he has to rely on some analog person to like mm. collect that mail and it has to like make himself vulnerable in some way to have that like read to him. No, I like that. Going off of that, it's Havestus knows about it because he he works he lives in the Lower East Side, obviously, but he obviously works just all in that whole downtown area. So he definitely heats up the post office that mm. delivers to the P.O. box. And there's a post office worker who I, I don't know what happened, but like can see the umbral arcana in this way and knows that Eddie needs mail written to him. And mm -hmm. Festus knows who it is. Who is this post office worker who knows about it? I think that it's an older like pillar of the mail carriers association. I think her name is Mabel. I think that she is probably like part of these, the civic infrastructure in a big way and delivers a lot of the magical mail of the city. And it's not part of her job, but it is an act of extreme generosity that she will actually like open and read this mail for Eddie. I love that. I just pulled up the motto of the U.S. Postal Service. Mm -hmm. It's neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of light night. Mm -hmm. And I feel like gloom of night got added once the U.S. Postal Service started sending mail to the unsleeping city. <laughs> I love that. Because that's what Mabel does. I think that Hephaestus slips a piece of mail in once he figures this out. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a really kind of like hurtful thing. And he says it's like from Mike from Wanta, like some guy from Long Island who's just like writes a letter to him. And it's just like super mean and yeah. like talks about his mother but he doesn't have one so it's just like oh this fucking mike from wanta i got a lot of problems with the shit you're doing and this woman mabel needs to read it to eddie and it's devastating i think that there are a period of years where eddie is really hurt by this until the arrival of the internet where where email becomes more of a thing and i think he still keeps the p.o box and keeps up with mabel but i also think that he finds a way to email this fake person from Monta. And that dude gets, well, he gets, maybe we roll for it. He gets some huge <laughs> amount of emails per day from Eddie, who's like, I got a bone to pick with something you wrote to me in 1962. I've been thinking about this. This is still on my fucking mind. You got a lot of fucking nerve, buddy. You know that? You come, you've come to me, you're telling me that my style's outdated? Let me tell you something, bro. I invented this fucking sport, okay? You were in your fucking short pants by the time I was innovating this fucking wrestling. Who the fuck are you? Show your fucking face. And then Mike is like, hey, uh, 
Linda, can you get your nep- uh, get your fucking nephew? They keep getting these fucking- you won't go to spam! Can you <laughs> help me? I rolled a d20. I rolled an 11. So he gets 11 emails a day for like a year yes. from Eddie. Yes. I love that. That's Absolutely. incredible. Absolutely. He's like, yeah, get your fucking- yeah, the fucking nerd who knows about computers. Why- I don't know why this is happening. Linda! Linda! Get your nephew! I'm in your fucking modem, bro! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god I'm gonna make it easy I'm gonna do a one Hell I'm gonna see what happens boom alright I got a seven I think a seven is significant because in the time after Hephaestus lost it all to the Pixies. He had to work for the Pixies. And please forgive me if I'm doing too much fan fiction in your world. No, Do the Pixies it. have like an underground casino? I feel like they have to. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like they have one. And Hephaestus like is both like works there as security and also turns on the heat. Yes. <laughs> and then there's an opportunity where like some high roller comes in. This is like when when Mike Bloomberg eventually passes away. He comes back as a as a zombie, and then he he just like spends it all at the at the underground casino as a zombie. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's like giving out chips, and he gives one of Hephaestus like a thousand dollars, or just like uh, on a chip. Mm-hmm. And Hephaestus puts it all on the craps table, mm-hmm. and or it's whatever dice game they play. If it's not even craps, yeah. And he puts it on this like incredibly difficult roll. He has to hit like set like a bunch of these rolls in a row, and he keeps rolling sevens just over and over and over again. I think after this is finally when he starts to forgive Eddie for the seven hundred thirty ninety three punch combo because now he's finally underneath the Pixies yeah. after winning it all, and he comes back in the next round and be like, um. Finally, I get to be my own man again. Like, this is great. I'm just loving the game, baby. It's just heat and heat. You know what? I do it. (laughs) I love that. So during the first 40 years of the tournament's existence, you had to be an amateur. Like, there wasn't professional Mm. wrestling at that point. It was like, this is a thing that we do for XYZ reason, for the bragging rights. You can win the purse on it, but the tournament's held once a year, and you can't live the whole year of what you make in that. And I think that Hephaestus's return to that sport, the reason I remember those, that, those seven so importantly, was that you needed to hit this exact number to get out from under the Pixies because Hephaestus's return to the league presaged mm. a period of time, which was probably the time period in Eddie and Hephaestus's relationship where they were closest, yeah. when they unionized the wrestlers to get a bigger cut of the (laughs) tournament and expand the calendar for qualifying matches throughout the year. And basically, it was like Hephaestus' return to the league was a collaboration between Eddie and Hephaestus, who, again, it was like we were still rivals, but that was a period of like the year of negotiations followed Mm -hmm. by another five years of setting up the league to actually make this not only a way to make a living but a way to if you were smart about your branding and smart about your fan base or whatever to like this now could be your full-time gig you could just be a wrestler uh and that wouldn't have happened if Hephaestus hadn't gotten out from under the pixies i love that this is something like you turn it from just being a gladiator in roman times to it being a literal job yes i love that yeah all right brennan you have a one-digit number a three-digit number and a six-digit number Let's do a three-digit number. 
all right, let's do it. Boom. Seven, one, zero. Eddie and Hef have a long storied career together. 710 is the number of rounds that they went mm. for when Hephaestus perfected the style that would come back in answer to Eddie's winning style. Mm -hmm. So it was one of those things where certain other styles had started to come back into the league where like certain speed boxers, certain speed wrestlers had started to lose matches. I think it maybe even was like Yosef who started to come in with a heavier, slower style and was like, you don't have to live in fear of this speed style. There is a way to address this with training and technique, with strength and durability and mass and things like that. So the style had already started to crumble. And this was during also a contentious period in time because the league was changing, the business end of the league was changing as like Eddie and Hephaestus were like negotiating with the like owners of the league. But it was the beginning of the end because Heth, had had a period of time where he wasn't even wrestling. He was like doing works if he was like owing the Pixies or whatever, and mm. then came back in. And it was one of these things where it's like, you know, he had like a condensed training season. It was mm -hmm. like, he started training like months after everyone else. It was like, oh, you know, the first time Hephaestus gets back in the ring with a real speed player, we're gonna see that combo again for sure. We you know the same way that Hef got lit up by Eddie in the first time. It's like their first rematch and it ends up being a 710 round combat. Goes for days, people leave and start coming back in shifts. The league owner comes in to try to convince them to end it in a draw. They won't end it in a draw. And after sure. 710 rounds, it ends in forfeiture as Eddie, his amperage gets so low that he unwillingly dips into a battery at the edge of the ring and defaults the match after 710 rounds and <laughs> half rounds. Yeah, I think that this is a big deal. Avestus remembers this, both because at one uh, the last thing he does is take the battery and try to attach it to a light bulb, and then he smashes the light bulb <laughs> on the court like it's a Jewish wedding. But the other thing he does is that, like, New York City, there's one winter where the heat was so shitty yeah. And this is why, because the fire dwarfs were down big dude with a hammer who mm. was obviously probably one of the best. They were New York City was so cold that yes, because of Essus couldn't go to work. Yes, love that. Going into a battery is so funny. Uh, when Hephaestus uh wants to get under his skin, he calls him triple A. <laughs> triple A, fucking triple A, triple A, my ass. I'm like, <laughs> it was a nine volt. Don't rewrite history. Oh, yeah, you always say it was nine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm sure it was nine. All right. It was a fucking... Look at the fucking records. People were filming. Look at it. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, I'm going to go with a five. Oh, shit. Okay. I got zero, zero, two, three, five. Damn. Oh, God. I was not expecting this. I think when Mike Piazza became a really big deal in the subway series. In the 2000 subway series was when the Yankees and the Mets played each other. There was a, an understanding in the league that someone from the Unsleeping City could be, like, athletic famous. Like, I think that we've established in Unsleeping City, like, Stephen Sondheim, as we yeah. said before, is, like, a member, and there are people 
who've uh, like uh, one of the characters in the first chapter was like a longstanding Broadway diva. So there are people who did that, but no one did it for athletics. This is I think this is when uh, Hephaestus tries to come over to the real world of New York City and like be a real person for a little bit. Like there, it can't just be all only this, which is going into heating vents and also then wrestling and getting my ass kicked by like not only Eddie, but like there was like five goblins in a trench coat that did a really good job and worked them <laughs> over at one, at one point. Like Hephaestus got old, felt like he got old, and then like all these new kids were coming in, so he tried to do something in the real world. Mm-hmm. And I think zero zero two three five. He was like the 235th employee of, I think he he worked, he must have worked at like the New York Times or something for a while, like working on the, in the printing press and like working it over and working the machine because he wanted to do something in the real world. And like, it was the same, but like, it actually felt a little more tangible. I can only imagine that doing professional wrestling or gladiator fights in the Unsleeping City is just like doesn't feel good yeah. at all. So I think 00235 is his ID number from the New York Times at the time. He was like the 235th employee. And of course, the 00 before is because, you know, all the people have come through there yeah. before. Do you think that happened in our timeline after the league got organized and unionized or did it happen in the early days? Uh, that's a good question, because in both ways, there could be young people coming up who either they are starting to come up because they know it's secure or they're coming up because this is a young man's game. Right. I think it's more interesting if it's at once it's a job. Like these five goblins are like, hey, yeah, let's get ours. Yeah. And that's sure. where they're in there. So I think Eddie and Hef, the best times of their career were in that time where they were working together to unionize the mm-hmm. wrestlers. They had that 710 round match, which I think was so record breaking and such a piece of news. And it just elevated both of their stations as like nobody like these two are undeniably at the top that there is that kind of camaraderie and brotherhood, even in rivalry of like, hey, man, we went 710 rounds. That's record breaking. Like you're the only person in the world that could have taken me for that long. And I think that Hef then makes this personal decision, and that is a moment of complete betrayal to Eddie, who basically goes like, you're another legend. I'm not done having fun. And also, I can't go to the real world. Right. Like, I exist in, like, the, like, wiring and hard lines and third rails and all these other places like that. Like... Even when I materialize to be able to fight in the ring, there's probably some kind of electronic framework for me to be able to do that. And right. there's, I think there's this idea of like a real life. Because again, everything Eddie knows about life is through electronic television signals. Mm-hmm. So it's all to him like, why would you want to go be normal? And, right. and being deeply hurt by that. A hundred percent. I definitely, I definitely see that. Especially someone who's only who only knows that being on the TV is the only thing to do. Why would you go somewhere where no one knows your name? Especially like you're intentionally being the person who makes the newspapers and not in them. You fucking idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A million percent. Wonderful. Okay. You have a one digit number and a six digit number. Let's 
go six digit number. Boom. All right. Six five one nine four six. Okay. Assuming there's a seven one eight invisibly yep. at the beginning of that number. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. That is the exact number sequence minus the last number mm-hmm. that Eddie dialed internally when news got to him uh, that Hef had retired. And Eddie wanted to call to give respect and also beg Hef not to do it, to be mm-hmm. like, listen, if you need medical help, the league can cover that. Like, have you really aged out of it? Are you sure? Like, I don't, that doesn't sound right to me. Uh, and had all these things that he wanted to say to half at that point and never got to the last number. Wow. I think this number is significant because I think have met some real person friends, some humans, mm-hmm. and they asked him to like hang out one night or like like hey i'm having a birthday party do you want to come and he's like oh uh, i mean i guess i don't have anything i'm I'm not doing anything tonight he's like oh well i'll call you with the with the details and he's like on a on what like what what <laughs> like how are you gonna call me so i think it was a big deal for him to assimilate into human society that he needed a phone number yeah and I think that also 718, was that one of the news area codes that they had to add to New York City? I think so, right? Yeah, it's a Brooklyn area code. It's, but it's not like a 917, which right. was like the classic one for yes. a while. So if it's a newer one, the newer uh, area code that they added for New York City, he got a new thing. And I think that there's something like the magical properties of putting the designated hitter in baseball or all these things like that, is that it also demonstrated a change of New York City. Not a dilution is what the old heads would say, but just like growth and change. So like him having a 718 number also might have made him like a little bit destabilized as his connection to the unsleeping city. Yeah, well, I just looked it up. 718 is 1984. So that was added in 1984 to parts of all the outer boroughs. And again, I think that is to, like, even for Eddie, it's you know, it's like, oh, he has a 718 number. And it's like, when did that get added in? Like, I was here back w- prior to any area codes at all. I'm still getting used to 212, you know, like, I love that. I think that's great. Absolutely. I'm going to do a four-digit number because I have something that I'm very excited about. Boom. Okay. 5777. Oh, good. We got a, we have a Jewish year number. Perfect. (laughs) I think there was a Royal Rumble and please forgive me if my wrestling terms are a little, are rusty, but there's a one type of match where people just keep showing up. Like it starts as like a two person match, but then like all of a sudden, like Hulk Hogan shows up and then gets in there and people just keep showing up as it goes. Like they do it at WrestleMania sometimes. Yeah. And I think that. Eddie had to like defend a title and this was like the match that was set up, but Eddie maybe didn't even know about it. Like people just kept showing up. And at one point, maybe early on, Hephaestus came back and his, his theme music played as Eddie came, but Hephaestus came in and this was the twist. He's like, 
You know, you know, I can't pin you, fast lightning motherfucker. I think we should just take everybody else down. And five seven 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 are the number of people they took down in this Royal Rumble together when Hephaestus came back out of retirement. Five thousand seven hundred and seventy-seven opponents. It's the whole league, baby. And I think yeah. it's one of those things we're like, we took we took down five thousand seven hundred seventy-seven opponents. Okay. That is over 400 opponents plus that one opponent that is a colony of ants inside of a burlap bag, okay? <laughs> so if you count all the ants individually... We're actually, we're actually like, doing you a favor because that hydra is actually only counted as one, so we're actually being really uh, specific about the number. Yeah, we're being generous, okay? So, you know, um, uh, I love that so much. Is this after the phone number? incident yeah. yeah awesome yeah i i think this is the most recent because this is also like eddie juiced with 30 years of professional wrestling and like the league then becoming very wwe-esque other than it actually having jobs yeah so it's like this is the most professional wrestling the le- the top of the rock league has ever been and like this is like a big event, which is the top of the rock. The thing that harkened back to that time Gilgamesh like wrestled people is like, oh, remember when fucking Jacob turned down that fucking angel? Like that's what this shit is. Is the top of the rock baby championship? And like this was the event that is calling back to all of this. And this was like the Royal Rumble that happened at the big, the big, 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 like the WrestleMania equivalent. Yeah, I think this number is significant to Eddie because. Eddie doesn't experience aging, but Mm -hmm. the larger a sport grows and the more money that comes to it, the more people it attracts. And there is a degree of like, yeah, Eddie's still very good, but like this, you know, is a sort of older creature at this point. And like, how many innovations does he have? It ends up being this thing where like in his youth, he like revolutionized the sport. And now he's gotten to a point where it's like, you'll only ever just be very good. Like Mm -hmm. you've gone from being a sensation to being this kind of measuring post for new styles as they come in. It's like, oh, look at this brand new innovator. Look at this like necromancer death knight wrestler. How do they fare (laughs) against Eddie? Oh, they beat Eddie in three rounds. Well, that kind of lets you know how effective their style is because it's better than this other. It sort of becomes this thing of like, damn, like I can still occasionally pull out some victories here and there, maybe even win a championship once in a blue moon, Mm. but I'm not something that anyone's really talking about. And then Eddie comes back in and we take on this Royal Rumble thing. And there's this moment of horror and fear I think Eddie has of like, they can't beat Hef because then it's a referendum that all of our victories in the past deserve an asterisk next to them. And then when we win, I think that victory is more meaningful to Eddie than any of his individual victories Mm. in the sport. I like that. Absolutely. There's something about this that you've secured, and here's the electricity thing, you've secured Eddie as he's like the middle person in Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly exactly like if king hippo was real he's like oh let's see if these boxers can figure out that you punch him in the in the stomach and then his pants fall down and then you punch him in the face yeah. like if you can't do that you can't box like i'm sorry so there's it's exactly like that i love that yeah exactly all right brennan you have one more digit left you have a one digit number and that number is three 
after Hef's final retirement, which Eddie understood and talked a bunch of shit because I think Hef came back, won that Royal Rumble, and that was like sayonara. It was like, yeah, man. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Like, I'm the king. I proved it. I'll go out on that high note. And I mm-hmm. think Eddie talked so much shit about Hef doing that. And it's like, the guy comes in, he cleans up. He's going to tell me this guy can't do a regular fucking season. Bullshit. This guy's a coward. This guy doesn't know. He's He's got his head up his ass. It's, you know, Eddie gets a three-month suspension in the league, mm. making him miss a shot at the championship for the first time in his career because at weigh-in, he's fighting some kind of like celestial. There's almost like some like, you know, angel blooded. There's some sort of like celestial person who at way and they're, you know, trash talking each other to drum up interest. And the guy says something like, I'm going to send you into retirement, just like your loser friend. And Eddie straight up clocks him at way in. And it's clearly not part of the banter. It fucks with the match. Eddie gets a three month suspension which the league always was having, you know, Eddie kind of had the bad boy thing of like the league, he was always in a fight with the league or whatever. But this yeah. was a three-month suspension that took him out of ability, the, the ability to qualify for the championship and was clearly not part of his heel persona. For sure. I think it's funny, we've established that like Christian heaven and hell exist in this as well. So like, is just like an angel, like a classic Christian angel with like the tons of eyes and hands and wings and stuff. And then St. Peter is like his manager. He's like, whoa, 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 Eddie, Eddie. <laughs> with his like book, he's like trying to hold Eddie back in this thousand eyed angel who's the fighter. Incredible. Yeah, a thousand eyed fucking swimming fractal with a weird polygon <laughs> flaming sword overhead. And I'm like, let me at him. Be not afraid. <laughs> Um, I think the three-month suspension resonates because now that Hef keeps up with this is like he has the equivalent of pay-per-view that but like to the to the top of the rock league and he saw this and then he sends a letter to the PO box as Mike from Wanta saying, Hey, when I wrote this, uh I was real hothead, but I really, uh, you know, I've grown up with you in the league and seeing you with Hef in the Royal Rumble just like really meant a lot to me. So like, don't let them keep you down. Uh, I love that you did that. That was so, that was so cool. Signed Mike from Wanta. Incredible. I don't know that Eddie ever responds to that letter from Mike from Wanta because I think that he figures out who Mike from Wanta is, but can't bring himself to check and maybe be wrong. Right. He just wants to keep sending spam emails. to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My last number is 56. Man, I think 56 is like the number of nieces and nephews that Hephaestus has. Like his money has been taking care of people in the Lower East Side because... You know, there are different ways to heat now. Like the space heater took out the entire, like a third of the business. Yeah. And like the radiators still stay, but like what with all the development, especially in the Lower East Side, as that area got developed uh, and all those fucking new apartments came, they like don't use radiators, just like, or nests even. Like he, there's just less work 
Yeah. So Hephaestus went back because he got paid a bunch of money to do the Royal Rumble, and he's supporting like 56 people of the Lower East Sideberg clan on the Lower East Side. Yeah. He really still is in so many ways. Uh, he's still like a classical dwarf family. There's tons of them. They all work together. They all have the same last name, Lower East Sideberg, and mm-hmm. they all have like the same fiery hair and beard, and he has to stay prop this up as the heating business is getting harder. Yeah. I think that's significant too, because once Hef retires and starts to really like age and like age out of health and his, his ability to kind of like care for those people. I think that a spree of electrical errors in the Mm. electrical heating grid of the lower East side really gets out of whack. And so developers and landlords and all those different kinds of people suddenly have a tremendous need to fix things the old-fashioned way. Yeah, I think Eddie performs his duty as a hidden agent saboteur so that it begins to become, at least in some parts of the neighborhood, more cost-effective to just go with the old tried-and-true dwarven heating methods. Yeah, I think there's a moment where Hephaestus is like standing out with some of these buildings and you see like a landlord and a con ed person yelling at each other and Hephaestus just like says to himself he's like yeah man I mean that's why you diversify you always gotta make sure you diversify you can't just trust electrical stuff you gotta do all that stuff I had a a friend told me that and then there's like who are you he's like oh I just just know I'll see you later no stuff (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. What a beautiful story. Oh, my goodness. I'm just going to do a real recap of all the stuff here. Uh, Seven was uh, Hephaestus winning at the dice game for the Pixies. Mm -hmm. Uh, 56 were the people in the Lower East Sideberg clan. Uh, 793 was the punch combo on Hephaestus by Eddie in the big match where the Pixies bet on him. Uh, 5,777 were the uh, competitors taken down in the Royal Rumble. If you include all of the ants, but you subtract for the number of Hydra heads that grew back. Um, (laughs) 00235 was Hef's ID number at the New York Times. Uh, 142362 was the amperage of Eddie when he was created. Uh, Brennan, your numbers was a three-month suspension uh, when Eddie fought the classical <laughs> the classical uh, New Testament angel with the many eyes. <laughs> Be not afraid. I'm gonna kick your ass in the ring. Uh, 57 was the number of matches in total between Hef and Eddie. Uh, 710 were the rounds where uh, when Hephaestus came back to combat Eddie's uh, fast electric style and Eddie ended up in a battery. 1479, after the rule change for costumes, uh, 1,479 days was when Eddie was out of commission. 42162 was Eddie's P.O. box where Mabel would come and read him his letters, uh, including the letter that was written by Hephaestus uh, under the name of Mike from Wanta. And uh, 718-651-946 and the final digit was when Eddie tried to dial Hef's number to say, to tell him not to retire. Mm Mm-hmm. The final thing that you do in sports or just numerology is uh, you label it and sign it as if it was memorabilia. So I'm, I'll send this to you and put a digital signature on it, and we'll post it when this episode comes out. Beautiful. 
Uh, Brennan, thank you so much for doing this. I'm so glad that both of us got to not just DM by ourselves for a second. And this was lovely. Thank you for letting me play in your New York City world. And thank you, as always, for coming. Please plug on Sleeping City uh, Chapter 2. First of all, Eric, a joy, an honor, and a pleasure. What a true, a true, true blast. Thank you. For those that want to check out uh, The Unsleeping City, Chapter 2, the entire uh, first season, if you haven't uh, checked out the first season, is going up on YouTube at Dimension 20, uh, which is the name of the channel uh, that we have on YouTube, where you can go check it out for free. And the new episodes are airing every uh, Wednesday on dropout.tv, which is Dropout's streaming service. And you can find me at BrennanLM on Twitter and at Brennan Lee Mulligan on Instagram. And it's been a, a goddamn pleasure and an honor. Thank you. This was so much fun. Uh, And you know, as they say in my hometown, in fucking New York, you better fucking diversify or like fucking all your shit's just going to fall out. It's just going to get fucked up. Uh, I see what your problem is right here. You forgot to fucking diversify, though. Sorry about that. (laughs) You better fucking... Oh, you didn't... Oh, here's here's a fucking problem. I've been down here for 30 seconds and you didn't uh, respect the fire dwarves. That's your fucking problem. What kind of fucking... uh, Fucking Jamoke doesn't respect the fire dwarves. Yeah, you get a lot of this fucking guy Einstein over here doesn't know about fire dwarves. All right, you know, this guy. Yeah, here's what I do. I take a fucking pizza, I put a bunch of honey on it, and I just throw it down in the basement, and they just fucking eat it. They love it. And that's why I've been warm every fucking December. (laughs) 